Hvad ja. Telling you, we give them a tour, and they really like getting carried away with it, eh? Mm-hmm. I want to welcome you out tonight, and all those that are watching online. Uh, we are here uh, just finishing off a series, but uh, the last session was really actually just a, a uh, just a, an encouragement from Priscilla Shiler, Shire. And as I was seeking the Lord, I really felt that God was answering one of my prayers. And before I share with you my my prayer with you, I um, I want to actually just pray before we start. Would you like to pray with me today? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you, God, that we can lean on the everlasting arms, that we are safe and secure in you. And God, we thank you for the awesome worship tonight, God. We thank you, Lord, that we can enter into your presence boldly and without fear, God, that we will receive actually mercy and compassion and forgiveness. God, I thank you for all of the provisions that you've given us through your son, Jesus. Tonight, I ask that you would come and just guide and lead the way. You alone can know how to do that. So I am banking on you to show up and to teach me even how to do it as I do it with your people. I ask for grace. I ask for empowerment. I ask for the anointing of the Lord, Lord, that it make a difference for the people who are hearing, God. I pray for a mighty deliverance tonight. I pray for freedom. I pray for the chains that would be broken for your people, Lord. I proclaim truth over all of your people. For all those who are listening, I ask, Lord, that they would come expecting and believing that you have something for them. So I ask, Lord, that you would just take up all of it tonight. I acknowledge my need of you, and I know, Lord, that you are faithful and true to keep me as I teach this. In Jesus' name, I pray. Now, to tell you the honest truth, I would probably need about four weeks to break this down, but I have approximately maybe 40 minutes. And so... In light of that, that means I have to bring you through a journey and actually bring you along that thread very quickly to get to the bottom of why I'm here today. The message is called Lay Hold of the Blessing. Lay Hold of the Blessing. And what I started asking God, and it's actually been an honest question on my part as a leader, and I've asked it, I've, I think I've asked it for many, many years, but it has been something that has come back over and over again. And the question was this, many Christians are living spiritually poor lives even though they are sitting on a pile of spiritual wealth. Many of us are living spirit, poor spiritual lives even though that we were given a pile of spiritual wealth through Jesus. We need to understand there are so many things that we don't lay hold of. And I'm not too sure, maybe it might be different for each and every one of us, but what I know to be true is that the Word of God proclaims something very definite. It's very definite, it's very trustworthy as you hear it, as you, as you, as you read it, I should say. Then you get at, at the heart behind of God's great love for you, in sending his son for you, and the son dying and rising again and conquering death for you, so we can have a relationship. But not only that, as we walk out this life together, that we don't have to live spiritually poor lives, that we are, and we have been given so much, but so many of God's people are so confused and, and have embraced a whole bunch of things that actually are not even part of what 
tr- uh, the, the truth tells us. So these are things that as a leader, as a seeker of God's heart for his people, I tend to, I tend to question, God, why is that? Everywhere I go, I see a whole lot of people crying out to God, struggling with their, with their struggles, and, and some of them are super honest in their struggles, and, and, but they, they're always defeated and powerless, and, and they're just saying, why is it? And I'll share something and say, whoa, I never heard it. And I know they probably heard it a hundred times. But at that particular moment, God opened their eyes. So I pray that God will do the same. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that he can unveil your eyes tonight. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that could illuminate these truths that could actually set you free of a life of lack of victory. So many of us, we made it about the mechanics of Christianity, but we never made it about the relationship and what cost it took Jesus in order to create, to give us this opportunity of coming to God and having that relationship with him. So I want to start with Ephesians 1. I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians 1, um, verse 3. All right. There's somebody else like me here. That could be trouble for you guys. So we have Ephesians 1, verse 3, that says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. With every spiritual. He doesn't say with some. He doesn't give no condition that you have to do this, this, and that in order to get the spiritual blessing. No, he says that it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we say yes to Jesus, that means that we have given our lives, that we have received this gift by faith, because it is by grace through Jesus, through faith, that we actually are saved. And it is not by any worth or the measures of what we do. It is a free gift so that we don't, ha- we don't actually take the glory for it. it. Really, truly, is just about saying, yes, by faith. We believe that Jesus died. We receive him as Savior. And then we start our journey as Lord with him as we walk this earth together. So verse 3 says this. And then you go to 18. And it says, you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. And so we... We need to lay hold of this inheritance. We need to lay hold of the blessings of the saints. We are called saints. We are called children of God because of his great love. See, God is generous when it comes to bestowing his blessing upon us, his beloved children. In fact, he has already given us every spiritual blessing. He has secured them for us in heaven where none can be stolen, damaged, or kept back. Unfortunately, we, like the Ephesians, sometimes live spiritual, like spiritual paupers. That means that because we focus on the mechanics of Christianity, like we need to go to church and read our word and pray, which is all part of our life, instead of focusing on the important, which is the relationship we gained in this exchange. If we wish to enjoy all that has been given to us, we must delight ourselves in a Savior. But unfortunately, we delight ourselves in a whole lot of the things that we do for him, but not him. I love what she said, Priscilla Shire, a few weeks ago, and I think it was her, when she says, a lot of us seek the gift giver, but we just don't, we, we don't seek the gift giver, we only seek the gifts. 
But when we get to know who God is and know what Jesus has done and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, when we really get to know him, something starts shifting in our heart. You see, beloved, there is a difference between having the blessings of God and actually enjoying them. Would you agree about that? We can say, oh yeah, I got every spiritual blessing, but live like we don't even actually have them. We experience the riches of the Lord's grace by learning what blessings he has provided for us and then laying hold of them by faith. By faith, we need to trust that the work was finished. By faith, we need to trust that Jesus did exactly what the Father asked him to do. By faith, we need to remember that Jesus says, I'm going to send you one just like me because I am not going to leave you orphans because when you walk this walk, I want you to be assured that you are never going to be alone again. So I'm going to send you one who will be your attorney, who will always solicit and give you all that you need. He will guide you. He will direct you. He will fill you. He will do what he needs to do because that is what he was called to do. And that is the Holy Spirit. But by faith, we need to believe that. Before we believe in Jesus, we were dead in our spirit towards God. We were blind to his ways. I know, I went to church all of my life, and yet I was blind to his ways. And as much as I wanted to walk with God, I always managed to walk my own way. You remember those days that even though I wanted to do all that and I wanted to please him, there was just something in me that I could not do. It's because my spirit was dead. I was unable to communicate with God, and, and I was eternally separated from him because of my sinful nature. See, we cannot change any of this by our own strength. The only thing that can change our condition is having a new spirit. And the only time we get that is that born-again experience. See, we are born again. We were dead, therefore we were born again. The day we say yes to the sacrifice and the redemption of Christ, the day we say yes to this, our spirit becomes born again. But not only that, he also gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we know what it says, now now this is what he says about the before Christ. This is what he says here in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. So flip to the next chapter, Ephesians 2, 1 1 to 3. And the New King James Version says this, And you he made alive who were dead in what? In trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. So obviously there was a once walked, all right? So there has to be a a shift of something going on there. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind where where we were by nature children of wrath and just as the others. That just stops there. But when you see verse number four, he goes on and he says this in four. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. So the before, Jason, can you flip over the the, the board? So keep in mind, 
Because I only have a very limited time, and this actually should be actually looked at over a period of maybe four sessions, because I truly believe if we don't understand the difference that we were once like this, and the difference of what we're talking about tonight, then we will stay spiritually poor in our walk with God. And I'm here to tell you that I, I've, I've, I've pondered this. I mean, that's all I do when I talk to people is I bring them back to the cross. I bring them back to their identity in Christ, what was new, what was given to them. But we need to understand that because of the fall, we inherited the sinful nature. That's called our old identity and our old nature. We just heard it in Ephesians. We were once like this. That means that we were trespassers. We, were, we sinned, and we walked according to the flesh and the lust of our flesh. That's who we were. According to the fall, we inherited this. None of us are born good. None of us are born with the nature desiring of God. We were born with a sinful nature that has a tendency and an inclination to do self-will. That means I'm going to do what I want to do when I do it and how I want want to do it. It is rebellious to God in every shape, form, every way. That's why we can't communicate. We have no relationship with God unless we do it through Jesus. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and none come to the Father but by him. So it's very, very distinct. So I don't care what everybody else is saying out there in the world that there's many ways to get to the Father. According to this word, there's only one way. And so what is really holding us back is this sinful nature, this, this, this old nature that we were born and we inherited. And so this, the sins of the flesh are very, very clear in scriptures. We see it in Galatians 5. We see it in Colossians 3. We see it in a whole lot of different scriptures. But the sins of the flesh, we kind of get to know them. But we need to be familiar because there's a battle going on. If you are a child of God, the battle is between the old nature and the new. And that battle, if we, if we understand it, then we will be a little bit more strategic in how to approach it because there's something that happened in the finished work of Christ that you need to take into play here. But before we go there, I want to show you the sins of the flesh. So we have selfishness. That means you're very self-centered, self-focused, self-reliant, self-dependent, self-sufficient. In which, you know, there's a lot of immorality, which is moral failures, the lust of the flesh like we heard, the desires of the flesh. It all is all part of that sinful nature. The anger, the rage, the fear, the anxiety, the guilt, the depression, all of that was part of who I was. But you know, it's not just about that. It's about we have that nature, but that nature is given a old identity. The identity that comes from that is a shame-based identity. And that shame-based identity brings forth a whole lot of stuff, and that develops patterns and coping mechanisms. So not only do we have just this to contend with, now we have our past, the events that we've gone through, the pains, the wounds, the rejection, the abandonment, and many of us have gone through mild, medium, and very extreme abuse. In one way, shape, or form, our environment was not conducive to a healthy identity. So our identity and our worth was based on what we experienced, what was modeled. And so when we are here, we make decisions according to this. We live life according to this. And if, if God doesn't come, if Jesus doesn't take over, then this is all that we will experience. The end of the end is that there will be no hope for us. 
But Jesus loved, God loved humanity so much that he sent his son and he made a covenant with his son, not with us because of the sinful nature. We could not keep our promise. We were weakened. There's no way we could. So here in all of this, in our developing the patterns, when wounds and rejection came, we learned to actually deal with them with strongholds, different things that start developing in our lives. Pride, which makes us very self-focused, and we control our environment because we can't handle the powerlessness, so therefore we have to do something in order to make us feel powerful again. Rebellion is really a stubborn refusal, and it's a, a, a unteachable spirit, which that comes with the sinful nature. It's rebellious towards the ways of God, but these things are part of that nature. Something had to happen. Something has to transpire because we would be stuck in all this. This is the hope of the gospel, the good news that we were given through Christ. Now, a lot of times we develop a victim mentality where we feel entitled and we develop mindsets of bitterness and and shame and guilt and condemnation, all of these things that causes us to stay so depressed and down. There are negative thought patterns, which is another stronghold that causes us to fall into these patterns of worry and fear and anxiety that produces panic attacks. And we are consumed with self-pity and blame. And, you know, the bitterness and unforgiveness, we, we, we just, you know, we hold grudges. There's anger, there's outbursts, there's resentment. And all of this becomes part of what, how we do life. When things happen, this is how we're responding. The sins of the flesh are what is going to come out. That's the work of the flesh that we see in Galatians. We see all of that, but I love it when he says, you were once this. That means something transpired. Something had had to happen in order for him to say, you were once this. We do the coping mechanisms, which are part of how we protect ourselves, how we deny the reality when it's too hard. And so we fixate on something else when we rationalize why we do what we do and how we justify and project on, oh, well, you just don't understand what I've gone through. And because of this, this is how I do this. And, but he says in Galatians at the end, all of them who live and commit these sins and stay there will never inherit the kingdom of God. Never. So walking in this pattern, we can never. It didn't matter if you're good and if you do a lot of service and you do a whole lot of things in the community. It won't change anything unless Jesus came in, unless Jesus becomes Lord, then, then there is actually no hope of getting out of this old identity and this sinful nature. So, so you see how the gospel is good news? The gospel is good news. Can I hear an amen? amen. A hallelujah. I thank God. Good, you're awake. That's great. That's great. So we have all of these tendencies, and I love it when we see that what, what we're told in the Bible now, and, and, and it says in a lot of places that we kind of know that there's that battle going on. In Romans 7 and 8, Paul shows us, you know, that there is the deeds of the body, and we're literally taken captive under the law of sin. And then he says, but praise be to God, because of what Jesus did, because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can actually gain victory. We need, we can gain victory. So what I'm doing, 
I'm, he, says, he says, what I'm doing in 7.15, Romans 7.15, he says, what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Have you never, ever said that? Why do I do this? Why do I do this? All of us can relate to the fierce internal struggle that Paul describes. We find ourselves succumbing to sin, even though we want to honor God. Until we stand in Jesus' presence, we will all experience this battle. The only way to win today is dying to ourselves so that Christ can live through us by submitting to the Spirit's overcoming wisdom and power. We simply do not have the power by ourselves to do what pleases God. Even the good things we do in our own strength, which only gives us glory. The conflict within you, between the flesh and the spirit, is a form of spiritual battle. I'm going to share with you in a bit what happens when you come to Jesus and what those spiritual blessings are. But you need to make, you need to understand this this conflict going on. Because if you don't understand it, you'll get tripped up with the sins of the flesh. When the works of the flesh comes up, you're going to think that this is your, actually, this is your lot. This is what you are and I'll never change. When really, truly, something drastically changed at the cross. Something drastically changed at the cross. The conflict within you between the flesh and the spirit is a form of spiritual warfare, as I said. And you win much of the battle just by realizing that the struggle exists. It exists. Sin is a, still a powerful force, but it can no longer control you unless you allow it to do so. Why? Because Jesus drew a line. Jesus drew the line for you and I. When we said yes, he drew that line and he said, Mona, my work on the cross is finished. And it's not based on you, what you do and don't do today. It's not based on your performance and your works. Actually, it's based on God's promise, which is Ezekiel 36, which is actually the new covenant. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. I will exchange your heart of stone for a heart of flesh. I will give you life and I will be your God and you will be my people. And he said, because Jesus actually accomplished the work, what he did on the cross, he broke the power and dominion of that nature over you. Are you hearing this? This is pivotal because if you're under this line, that means you've come to know Jesus, the power of all of this, the dominion of all this has been demolished. It has been broken by Jesus. When he said he rose again and he was seated at the heavenlies with the Father, the right hand of the Father, when he says that he has all authority, he's telling you that he actually broke at the cross. He broke the power of your sin. He not only forgave you, he not only cleansed you, he not only redeemed you and ransomed you back to the Father, but he broke the very power that would cause you to yield to your flesh when God said, now that you are my child, because of my great love, I am going to give you the power to overcome these things. You don't have to believe that you will never, ever change. All you have to believe is that at the cross, because of what Jesus did, now I know he drew the line. This is what he says in Ephesians 2, what I just read in 4. Because of his great love, we were made alive. You see, I was dead here. But I was made alive here. I have now a new identity in Christ, which means that I am safe. All of my life, I could not find safety or security in the people that should have kept me safe. 
I went to everything in order to try to find that safety and that security because of the wounds and everything that I've experienced. I knew what it was to be uncertain. I knew what it was to have an, an environment of unpredictability. But now I'm understanding that God wants to give me a new identity that was based on what Jesus did. Jesus says, Mona, you are beloved. You're warmly welcome. You are adopted. You will never, ever feel like you are an orphan because I'm going to care for you. Not only am I going to give you a refuge and a fortress, I am going to give you everything that you need to walk out this life under this line. And when you know that you have a new identity, that means you are chosen, you are qualified, you are loved, you are forgiven. You are who you are, and you are a great masterpiece because I love you. When we understand that we have a new identity, our worth doesn't come from this anymore. It doesn't come from the externals. And when the enemy wants me to go to my externals in order to get my worth, I remind myself I'm under the line. I don't have to seek approval. I have the approval. I don't have to be recognized. I've already been recognized. God has done a deep work at the cross through his son. And by faith, we experience a new identity. So when we're bombarded and oppressed, we need to remember. And if we are told that we're worthless and there's nothing good in you, you need to remember God says, I saw such worth in you that I sent my son to die for you because of my love. And so now I have a new nature. Now, he broke the power of this sinful nature. Now, I experience all that. I need to be renewed. I need to be healed. I need, I, need, I need deliverance of those things. But I'm under the line, and the onus is not on me. It's on now on the power of the Holy Spirit in me. That's the beauty of the new covenant. When he says, I will, he said, I will give you a new heart. This new nature comes with a new heart, a new life, new ways. When we experience this and we understand this, you see, at conversion, there was not just a change happening. There was an exchange. God exchanged my sinful nature, which wants nothing to do with God, and he gave it a divine nature. He deposited me a new life with new ways and a new heart that will be actually led by God's ways and God's heart. And so all of this gives me an idea that now not only was I in the kingdom of darkness, now I'm in a kingdom of light. And in that kingdom, I was given authority. I was given power and a position, not because of who I am and the school I went and the title I carry, but because I said yes, because I said, I believe I believe, which means that I will trust and rely on what he's already asking me to do, what he's already actually given me. Now, at conversion, not only was my old nature exchanged with a new one, that means I don't have to worry about these things, even though they do express themselves and they're unpredictable and we do fall into sin. Now, I don't bank on that. I bank on who I am under the line. Because he's given me a new nature, because he's given me the power, now I'm understanding that he's going to change my heart. I have new DNA in me. And the wonderful thing is that he gave me a deposit. And that deposit is the Holy Spirit. I was sealed. It's a promise. Nothing can unseal me. I was sealed. It means that God says, you're mine. It's about ownership. All of my life, 
I wanted to feel that I belonged. I wanted to feel that my parents loved me enough to say that, hey, this is my girl. But I felt invisible most of my life. I felt unloved most of my life. And then I come to God and, and understand that, whoa, wait a minute. I not only got a new heart, but I actually, there are things called into my life that are totally different. I have a calling and a purpose and a plan. And I know now that because of my new heart and my new mind, and that I'm sealed, and there's a guarantee, a pledge that he will carry me through until I need to get back home in heaven. And I'm seated in the heavenlies. There are so many blessings we need to lay hold of. But many of us, we know about them, but we don't lay hold of them. Romans 6, 4 says, For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Do you see the hope of the gospel? And it's amazing that because of what we think and because of what we believe, what happens is that we stay in that pattern of sin or in that place of dysfunction. He says in uh, verse 6, we know that our old sinful self, all right, we're crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to the sin for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. I'm not making this up. This is part of the new covenant. And if you are a child of God, that means that is your inheritance. That is what you have, a spiritual legacy that you can bring and give to your next generation, to your children. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. And he goes on in verse 11 in Romans 6. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Through Jesus, I'm alive. There are days I don't feel too alive. There are days that I'm foolish enough to embrace something I shouldn't have. There are days that I forget that I'm a child of God and I entertain some thoughts I should never entertain. There are days that we have bad days, don't we? But it's what we do in our bad days in the end of that day, where we go and what we believe that will dictate the end result. And I have to tell you, beloved, that's why so many of us are spiritually poor because instead of drawing from the reality of who we are now in Christ, we draw from the reality of our past. And so when we actually make a decision or choices in our life, it's not because we are children of God, greatly loved and beloved. No, it is because what we experience in our past that dictates how we're going to make our choices. Beloved, you're living spiritually poor. Because you are fearful to do and respond to what God is trying to tell you. He's saying, I've given you all that you need. Romans 6.22 says, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. That means servants. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Jesus drew the line for you. Sin is still a powerful force in our life, but it can no longer control you unless you allow it to do so. You are not doomed to failure, and to believe otherwise is to remain in needless, painful bondage. Because if you don't believe that Jesus has done on that, then you will always remember that you will, you will always stick to your failures and your defeat. 
That breaks, and it breaks the heart of God, and it grieves the Holy Spirit in you. The truth is you cannot wander too far, fail too many times, or exceed Christ's forgiveness. When you repent and turn to him, he restores you to fellowship. You see, when we said yes, our relationship was settled. But a lot of times as we fellowship with God, what happens, it gets broken because we keep on believing these things of the sinful nature. We keep on believing that we'll never change and we'll always be the same. And instead of hoping for change, instead of going to truth, we stay in our old coping mechanism and in old patterns and we disengage, we withdraw, we withhold, we do the ostrich. We do the denying. When really, truly, God says, hey, I'm shouting at you. I've given you your way out. Galatians 3 says, you were called to freedom. Galatians 5, 1 says, stand firm in the freedom that, God, that Christ has bought for you. Don't return back to the slavery of your sinful nature. That means now it's about choice. Now it's about me doing this. His job is according to Philippians 2.12 is this. Let me just show it to you. You want to go to Philippians 2.12, uh, 2.13, I should say. It says, Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you. Who does the working? To will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. His good purposes in you is to actually change you, is to give you hope. To show that he has a plan and a purpose for you to conform to the image of Christ so that others can come to him. It's not all about you, but when God becomes who he's supposed to be in your life, people will see. So his job is that he will do what he needs to do. The Holy Spirit will do that. But our journey is to believe. It's not only to believe, but to abide to present our bodies daily to him and say, God, I, I present my bodies to a whole lot of things that's unholy. And I pollute myself with the worldly things and I wonder why I'm living above the line. And I forget about the blessings and I don't lay hold of the blessing that is in my life. And so we do know that God says, now you have a choice. Before Christ, you never had a choice. Oh, you can maintain, you can take courses and do classes, you can do positive thinking, but your nature was dead. And it could not please God. Unless you said yes, and at conversion you get a new nature in the spirit, that is the only way now that we can have a choice. We have a choice. So it says, do not let sin control the way you live. Now, The secret to freedom and victory is the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But it is imperative to grasp that obedience is always the choice. You decide whether you will yield to God and so become like Christ or yield to that lust of the flesh and so that you reflect other things. Now it is a choice. Because the dominion and power was broken, now it is about a choice. You have a great potential to live free and holy through Jesus Christ, but God will never force you to do his desires. A lot of us are tempted. A lot of us have choices before us. Amen? And many times we know deep down inside the Holy Spirit will nudge you and say, don't do this, don't say that, don't respond like this, but yet we continue to do that. We choose self-will as opposed to God's will, and we experience poverty. 
But God said, because we don't understand what's happened at the cross, that sometimes we forget. We forget about, to lay hold about the blessing. We say, God, you know, I'm going to make a choice today. I'm not responding like this. So the sooner we understand that, the sooner we actually come to that place of freedom. The sooner we rejoice and we grow in the reality that your identity is in him. The sooner you will experience the thrill of victory. Unfortunately for many believers today, they still live as, they, as if they are still under the control of the sinful nature. At the cross, Jesus not only redeemed us, as I said, not only did he forgive us, not only did he break the power and the dominion of sin, he gave us a new life to live. So I do know that when we look at all of this, we understand that God is trying to tell us something. Before Christ, we lived under bondage, captive to many strongholds. I'd be the first one to tell you. We were powerless to change. There was no sense of safety nor security. Therefore, we develop ironclad resolves to change things and keep ourselves safe. It is what the nature does. And because of the wounds, it produced a whole lot of things in our lives. And we actually go there over and over again. Because of the rejection and abandonment, we develop many other things. Because of the pride and rebellion, all of these were based on what we feel and what we have gone through in the past. And it's our measurement. But now, if you are under the line, it should never be your measurement anymore. You need to lay hold of the truth that's over your life. I don't know how many times I need to say this to you. Jesus drew that line. Isaiah 56, 4, in the end of that verse, it says, take hold of the covenant. We take hold of this. The work has already been done. Now, you have a new spirit, a new nature, a new heart, and I thank the Lord that he actually showed up and did it. But like I said, the the secret of the new covenant and walking out is the Holy Spirit. It's not how much of the Holy Spirit you have because the day that you said yes to Jesus, you were given the full measure of him. It's really how much of the Holy Spirit does he have of you. And if you want to know how much, you just have to actually look at how you're doing life, where you're ending most days. You don't have to tell me. If you want to come, you can tell me later. But this is actually, this is how we know whom we are following. We were sealed, we were seated, we were pledged, we were adopted, we were chosen, we were loved. We were brought from the kingdom to one that is a glorious one. We were hidden and complete. We will never live under condemnation or wrath again. There is hope for us. We are called his children, co-heirs with Christ, beloved in his eyes. When we've become Christians, your spirit now is new. You weren't changed. You were, there's something exchanged. Something fundamentally happened the day you accepted Christ in his sacrifice. Something new inside. The Holy Spirit moved in. He gave you things that you needed. And when this new life and the Holy Spirit takes residence in you, he begins to change your taste buds. That's why when you say you're born again and your taste buds have not changed, I have to question it. Because when you have the power who rose him from the dead in you and that new nature, your, cha- your taste buds start changing. But not only that, you start mirroring, mirroring his ways. 
As you look to life and how you respond, you start mirroring not the old nature, but the new one. One of the most freeing discovery in my life has come from simply trusting that I have DNA, divine DNA in me, within me, and will naturally manifest itself through me when I believe. This has freed me from all of the worry of failing or the fear of failing or being rejected. It has freed me of so much. My behavior will be influenced by my spiritual lineage. Our focus should not be on our behavior here tonight, but it should be on being spiritually healthy. And that's where the Word of God comes into play. That's where prayer comes into play. Coming to church and connecting with like-minded believers, that is, those are good choices to stay healthy. Many of our sisters and brothers now have quit coming for prayer. They don't come for Bible study. They barely come to the two services, and you wonder why they're not healthy. When you think about it, statistically, I just read a scripture, uh, an article that said most Christians, unless they're salaried in the church, usually give about 10 hours of their time to church. And yet, I can hear a whole lot of complaints. No, oh, you always want us to go to church. Oh, it's always about the church. I mean, really, truly. Last time I checked, I'm under the line. Why would I want to live for anything else? I lived my whole life until I was 25 for this. Finding a way out of this. Trying to prove my worth with this. And then all of a sudden he says, you don't have to prove anything anymore. I've already sealed you. I've got a stamp of approval just for you. And so things started changing. My taste buds, my desires, my outlook, my perspective. I understood. Now God didn't want me to deal with my behavior. He just said, Mona, when you see something, I need you to remember you're under the line. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work this out. But you need to trust me and rely upon me. So healthy means we naturally produce growth, which will automatically lead to behavior. So when we're healthy spiritually, does it affect our behavior? Of course. So don't start clipping up your behavior. Go back to your truth. Go back to what God has given you. See, despite our sinful tendencies, trust yourself to his care. Cooperate with him in the ways he instructs. That's what we have to learn. This is the cooperation that goes along with the Holy Spirit. The DNA is there, beloved. Trust him to fashion your behavior into the image of Christ. You don't have to try harder. That's not what he's asking. He's saying rest harder. Rest in what has done. Now, he's not talking about you fooling around with the sin. Now, you've got to call it. You know, when I, when I have attitude, i got to call it. i gotta, I got to confess it and repent. But my attitude only affects my fellowship, not my relationship. But let me tell you, you will see the reflection of my attitude if I don't repent. You and I know that. We have that awesome privilege to confess, and he is just and faithful to forgive us. But I have DNA. I have the privilege of hearing and responding to his voice now. Before the line, there was no such privilege. The Spirit makes the difference. By God's grace, his Spirit is fully yours. So now what we are asked to do is to delight in him, to rest in him, to believe that he will speak clearly to you and order your step and cause you to deserve what brings him pleasure. It is his good pleasure for you to hear his voice. Beloved, 
I think the bigger problem is that we come to Jesus, we ask him for Savior, the Lordship becomes an issue for us because of trust issues. You see, because while we were living in our sinful nature, a whole lot of things happened to us. And it became very complicated to trust and rely on things and people because it was a repeat. You put your hope on something, dash. You put your trust in something, crushed. You actually relied on someone, they abandoned you. But he didn't. And he will never do it. The Holy Spirit, when I say sealed, that means he will never leave you nor forsake you. So in the place that you are here, you can understand that will call out to you in your troubles. But if you do not believe, then you will go back to your patterns. If you don't believe, then you'll go back to your coping mechanisms. But beloved, you will stay spiritually poor. You will not be healthy. And today, in the world that we live in, we need to stand up again. Today, in the world that we live in, we, the children of God who have been called out of darkness and light, need to realize we have to make some decisions. Oh, many of us have lived way too long and wasted way too long these things that are already written to us. When God says, I will, anytime, in Hebrews 8, I will be your God. I will set you in motion. I will call you out. I will deliver you. I will give you power. I will keep you. There's a time when we have to decide, God, I have so been hostage to my emotions of regret, shame, fear, disappointment, guilt, failure. I've been hostage to my anger. I've been hostage to my discouragement, my despair. Oh, let me not start with depression because that low lying of sadness just comes up and wants to swallow me up. And what I do is I forget that I'm under the line. I forget that I was sealed. No, we're hostage to suicidal thoughts, to sadness, discontent, worry, anxiety. I could continue all night long. But this is what I want to finish with. I'm getting excited. I just started my message. Let me look at the time. I said 40 minutes. I think I have another hour. (laughs) Not. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something that's very important to you today. Many of us are hostage. And we've taken hold of something else, but not the blessings. So, now that we're saved... We're born again, new life, new heart, new spirit, new ways. What do we do with our emotions? What place do they take and where do we put them? How do we deal with our emotions? You guys are all emotions here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you have emotions? A lot of people say, well, I'm numb. No, you express anger all the time, so you're not numb. I had someone, a dear friend, I think she can let me. She thought she she was a psychopath because she was just so dead, deadened to her emotions. I'm like, oh, no, no, you experienced anger quite a a bit, so you can't be a psychopath because they don't experience anything. No guilt, no nothing. And so here, so what place do our emotions have in our walk? Why are so many people taken hostage by their emotions? What are emotional strongholds? Now, let me give you what they are. What a stronghold. See, addiction is not a word that we can use as a Christian because it's actually, it's a worldly term. And addiction implies that it's because of somebody else that I'm where I am. Strongholds imply a spiritual dimension. And it's a good thing it's a spiritual dimension because now we're seated in two realms. 
We can have problems in the physical realm, but we can actually find solutions in the spiritual realm. So we are not without hope. Strongholds is this, a place that has been fortified so as to protect itself against attack. We know what that is. You know, the strongholds around the cities. But let me show you the other definition. It's a place where a particular cause or belief is strongly defended and upheld. A belief, a cause that is strongly defended and upheld. Many of us are children of God, but we defend and uphold beliefs that have nothing to do with our heritage. So how do we overcome emotional strongholds? These are beliefs, they're lies that, we'll, that we uphold that cause us to, t- to be taken hostage by emotions. And I'll give you the two, but I want to give you an illustration of a smoke detector. Everybody saw a smoke detector with the little batteries. What does it detect? Smoke. And where there's smoke, there is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys are good. Thank you for coming. I'll tell you the rest of the story next week, so you have to come back. No, I'm just joking. So when you use that illustration, is that it, it, emotions, the smoke detector is like what our emotions should be doing to us. Emotions should be just detectors, alarms that there's fire, uh, there's smoke and fire going on. But a lot of times, because in the past, in our sinful nature, in this area, our past, what we've done with emotions is we've suppressed it, and repressed it. Many times because of what I experienced, because of the reality of the pain, in order to survive, I denied that I had any hurt or pain. And I would just pretend and have my own little reality, my mask and my facades. All right? That is suppressing. But repressing is when you unconsciously repress an event like I did when I was raped when I was 16. I repressed it. I didn't, if you would have asked me, I would have told you, you're, you're losing your mind. It was only when I was 38 when truth came to me, when God said, now it's enough. You have denied this event in your life and it has, it has a hole. You're hostage to the shame of it. And the shame causes you not to see truth very well. And you stumble and you limp. And I need to set you free. So what happens is that in our old nature, we don't deal with our emotions. Before the cross, before the line, we never really deal with our emotions well. And because of it, it causes us a lot of harm, a lot of damage. It draws from us and it gives us a lot of problems. Now, so as a smoke detector is to the house, your emotions are to your soul. Above the line before Christ, our emotions is what leads us. It helps, it held, it keeps us and keeps us captive. It was usually based on subjective experience, as I said, past emotional events that cause much damage. We learned really well not to express our emotions because we feared disapproval or rejection. I had no safe place to deal with the wounds and the pains and the things that I had to ask. And because of it, I actually dealt with my emotions that way. I suppressed it and repressed certain events that I didn't want to go back to. They were frozen in time. This is how we do it. We minimize, we rationalize, we justify, we cloak, we do all of those things. And because of it, in the end of the end, we come to the Lord and we are not able to deal with the sinful nature and its sin pattern very well. We still have emotions. So we need to learn how to express, how to express our emotions while we are under the line. The alarm 
is ringing for many of us. Emotions are coming, different things are coming, and you don't know how to deal with it. But because of what we've learned and how we did it before the line, we bring this to our walk under the line. Because we're going to have emotions, trials, and tribulations under the line, are we not? But we're asked to deal with this differently. Emotions is an alarm. They are signals to warn us. So how do we deal with emotions before Christ? Unfortunately, what we did is we bring it with Christ. And because of it, even under that we're under a lot of truth, we still are not walking very well. We don't believe God will provide and protect, and therefore we'll go to our defaults. Because we are emotionally hostage to fear and worry, we cannot move beyond that place of stronghold. We uphold it. We keep defending it. When God said, no, I need to expose it. One thing we must remember is that even though the feelings are real at times, that they are not always the root cause. Now, I need to show you what the emotions are all about. Emotions are designed to tell you that something is wrong. Let me give you an example. Last year, for about a year and a half, I started the year before, started feeling a low-lying sense of regret and shame. I actually, I felt it, and I knew it was there. And actually, I even expressed it once or twice here. So this was happening. I, was, if I, I wasn't hostage to them. What I did is when they would come, I would go right back to what I knew to be true. I would go to truth. And in my time with God, he would give me scriptures whenever, and I would just not actually build on it. I wouldn't defend it. I wouldn't uphold it. And so I was never hostage to it. But it was a great battle. And then I just came back to the truth. I just came back to what God was showing me, what I was already in Christ. And so it kind of seemed like I was just walking through it. And it lasted about six months. And I kept on saying, God, where is this coming from? I, I, I'm not too sure. All of a sudden, I started getting thoughts coming into my mind. But here now, I've gone through quite a bit over the year. I'm not going to give you an excuse. But sometimes we get so overtired and overwhelmed that we don't fight the spiritual battle very well. So all of a sudden, I'm starting to experience some actually... It started with sadness, actually. Sadness that led me to discouragement, but it was sadness. I started feeling a low-lying sadness. And again, I would just chuck it up. I'm too tired. So my sadness, I went straight to here. So I didn't build. I wasn't taken hostage from it. I still did. Never got off the wall. Did what I asked, what I wanted to do. I still had the passion and everything else. But then all of a sudden in November, I started feeling actually discouragement. Now I know what that feels because I've already been taken captive of hostage, hostage to discouragement many years. In ministry, I, I think it's one of the biggest things that the enemy uses. So all of a sudden, I thought I was fighting well. But now, the thoughts that I was telling you that were coming, these thoughts... I was upholding. I wasn't laying a hold to the blessing anymore. I was upholding something. I was upholding a, a lie that the enemy was starting to, to shoot, that arrow that he was starting to shoot in my mind. There were thoughts. And all of a sudden, what I wasn't doing is that I wasn't going here now. I was going actually here. So I started withdrawing and withholding. I started recognizing that something was going on, but I knew that I wasn't totally defending that stand. So I kept on going back to God. I kept on asking him, please God, show me what I'm doing. Why is this happening? Can you reveal it to me? So the emotion was a, an alarm for me. It was an alarm. It was detecting something. All right? Now, we need to understand that emotions have no intellect. They don't have thoughts of their own. They have to come and borrow thoughts from somewhere else. All right? 
Now, in this place, when we were living in this area, we were under a barrage of lies of the enemy. A whole lot of lies that were developed because of the pain that we went through, because of the lies we've embraced. And what happened is that a lot of emotions were there. When I came to the Lord, he set me free of the bitterness and a whole bunch of things. So now I'm finding myself struggling with these things. And I knew that there was something going on. But I was so busy. Christmas, concert, you know, all of the different things that are going on. So I compartmentalize it. And usually I go, go back to those areas because I'm, I'm afraid they'll come back to bite me. And it did. After Christmas, here I have a new puppy going in full-blown construction. This discouragement now actually became despair. And where's my hopelessness? Oh, it's not even there. Oh, hopelessness. Sorry. I missed an S. So all of these now, but again, now I'm building. Now I'm becoming hostage And because I upholded only for several weeks and I started believing the lie, I became hostage to these emotions. And so I knew now the alarm was sending out. And because I went to the wrong place to deal with the emotion, I actually was not living out in a pattern of freedom for myself. I didn't stop doing what I was doing for God. I still preached every Sunday. I still sought God every morning, but now I'm held hostage and I know I'm trouble. So I moved back and I said, okay, God, now give me clarity. What is going on? Because you see, no one had to tell me I'm not walking. Well, I knew it in my heart and I felt the nudges of the Holy Spirit to stop long enough to ask God, what is going on? What is going on? Five weeks, I had to wait. Five weeks before God finally went like this. My emotional stronghold at that particular moment, the cause of that was sin. Instead of going to what I knew, I went to what I experienced. Instead of believing the truth, I believed the lie. Instead of understanding that God was going to give me a way out, I started strengthening and defending this position. And it happened very gradually. And I started realizing, okay, God, what is going on? All emotional strongholds, the root is sin. It could be sin of self-preservation, sin of self-deception, self-dependence. It could also be rooted in someone else's sin. When someone else is abusive and you're enmeshed with someone else, their sin becomes your sin. And all of a sudden, you're hostage. Have you ever been with people who are oppressed? or people who are always angry or sad and whatever, do you not become hostage to their, to their, to their emotions? Come on. Okay, I'm not the only one. That, okay, so we need to actually discover when we're around people, somebody else's sin could cause us to be hostage to their emotions. And so we have to remember who we are and where we stand. So emotional struggles is the cause of sin. It could be rooted in somebody else's sin, but it could also be rooted in the environment that you're in. So sins of the flesh, remember, it's a tendency to do your own will. And when you do, trouble happens. Now, there's three categories, and I'm almost finished. Three categories of spiritual strongholds. It's rooted in the past, emotional grooves that have happened in the past. You've got grooves that have been developed. 
And those grooves, unfortunately, they're dug deep into your mind. Maybe you will have more compassion and grace for those that are stuck hostage to their emotion. It's a groove that is dug deep. And Satan makes a tape going on over and over again. And if you talk to these people that are deeply grooved like that, what happens is they're always actually saying the same thing. Different people, different event, but it's the same thing. Oh, they've disappointed me. They've failed me. They betrayed me. You know, it's the same thing. Oh, I can never trust anybody. But really, it's a groove. And the enemy's using different today's events to keep them in bondage. So we, there, and they, they become hostage to their emotion. The second category is problems in the present. So we have the past, the things that we've experienced, and the problems in the present. So the pressures of, pressures of everyday life. See, that's where it got me. The pressure of everyday life, because I didn't actually unplug enough. I didn't take my days off enough. I didn't do what God was asking me to do for years now, to do enough. What happened is the pressures of today put so much pressure on me. I couldn't, I couldn't experience. I, didn't, I, I had these self-imposed measurements. Have you ever given yourself self-imposed measurements? And unfortunately, I went into hostage. And then the next one is the fear of the future. It is actually afraid about tomorrow. Matthew 6.34 tells us, you know, that we don't have to be afraid for tomorrow. So it is the what-if syndrome. We live in constant fear and anxiety of what will take place if God doesn't show up. When God said, I already showed up and I'm going to continue to show up in your benefit. So what's the cure of emotional strongholds? What's the cure? Give me one word. What's the cure? Truth. Truth. You cannot heal any strongholds by denying they exist. A lot of times we deny that we're defending or upholding a lie. No, you can never actually get over, overcome a stronghold like that because you're living a lie. Nor can you overcome strongholds by overriding them with distractions like TV and food and everything else that we attempt to cover it up with. Nor do we overcome strongholds by uh, obeying our emotions and the lust of the flesh. Now, when we obey that inclination to do something that's opposed to God, then we cannot overcome our emotions. Any of these actions, you're not going to deal with that stronghold. So what you need to know before I go to the cure is this. Emotions respond to what we think. Say it to me. Emotions respond to what you think. Therefore, if emotions are a product of your thought life, whoever is controlling your thoughts today will also control your emotions. I had emotions, but my thoughts and gaze stayed upon God. And while it stayed upon God, these emotions never took me hostage. A little further down, sadness came in. My thoughts and gaze and perspective of who I was in Christ and what God was doing for me was kind of settled, but all of a sudden, because of the pressures of life, what happened is that I started thinking somewhere else. And I started uplifting and defending a thought that did not even come from God. And before I knew it, I went into full-blown hostage to my emotions, which was discouragement and despair. And when I found out what I had done, that I upheld something that was not even based on my spiritual lineage, what I did is I came back to the, under the line. I went, okay, God, I'm drawing the line. I'm making the decision. I'm not going back to there to deal with my 
emotions anymore. I'm going back to the truth. Holy Spirit, take hold of me. Holy Spirit, do what you said you're going to do. Set me free. And little by little, even though that those emotions were coming, I would bring truth to it. I would keep my gaze upon God. I would seek him for truth. I would continue seeking him until I no longer felt being hostage anymore. I no longer have discouragement nor a sense of despair. What I thought was real is not real. And because uh, my thoughts started going back, and that's the, that's the cure, is you have to turn your gaze back to what God has given you and back to God himself. That's why if the devil is controlling your thoughts today, that means God is not. And if God is not, you will stay hostage to your emotion. So truth is this. Are you fully persuaded that Jesus did what he said he was going to do? Are you persuaded that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit and the power and dominion has been broken over you and all of the things that have come from the past? Because if you're still led by your past, then I can guarantee you somewhere you're holding and defending a lie. Somewhere we have to decide. That is where I'm going to end off tonight. We have to decide. We are still captive to our old identity when, when, when we were given a new one. We were given a new one. Jesus says in John 16, 33, last scripture, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. And in the world you will have tribulation. So I'm under the line. Am I going to have tribulation, suffering, and troubles and problems? Yes, sir, all of us will. But because I'm under the line, I have every resources under heaven to walk through this and not be hostage to my emotions. He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We must make a choice to be of good cheer. We must make a choice to turn our gaze back to the reality of our new DNA because if not, we will go back to something else and become hostage and stay poor spiritually. This is not about not just having a bad day. This is about something that you actually produce over and over again. We must make a choice. Jesus will take care of your enemies as he took care of mine. He will give you the authority you need to overcome whatever you're going through. And whenever that happens, that what happens is that sometimes our failures and our behaviors and our emotions, it's like a final statement to us. But none of that is final. What he said under this line is final. That's your final statement. You are called to freedom. But we must look to a different direction when emotions come. No matter what they are, where are you going when you're experiencing the pressures of life and things start coming up to the surface? Whatever your emotion is, whatever the thought that's behind it is what you're going to uphold. And if you don't turn your gaze back to what God has given you, then I can guarantee you, you will remain hostage and stay spiritually poor for as long as you defend that cause and that belief. Does that make sense? Do you understand what God has given you today? You see, it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring you out. You see, I banked on the Holy Spirit when I, ca I came out and I realized the alarm was sounding. The despair was coming from a faulty thought. And as soon as I exposed it to truth and I replaced it with truth, 
and I started proclaiming who God was in my life. I still was experiencing the emotion, but I never, ever bowed down to it. I drew the line. I went, God, I am your child. You have promised me. Our job is to present. And so every day I presented myself to God. Every day I put away. I stopped hindering the Holy Spirit by believing and defending a belief that was not even in a word. God never spoke those things to me. They were lies. They were lies. And so today, my altar call is very, very, very simple. When confronted with the pressures of life, when the emotions rise up, where have you gone? What are you defending? See, whatever God is saying, whatever is being heard in your head, if it doesn't reflect God and his truth, then you are to actually take it captive. But most of us, we don't. And because of it, we are taken hostage. So the choice is, do you believe? Are you fully persuaded that God has given you freedom? If not, you need to come up tonight. You need to just give it to God and say, God, this is it. I'm, I have lived for my sinful flesh long enough. I've wasted way too much time. I've goofed, but I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on what you've given me under this line. God, I did not believe. I believe I had to be something and something and something in order to get all that. No, by faith, I get it. That's the beauty of the new covenant. You were called to freedom. And if you're not living in freedom and you're living hostage to fear and worry, anxiety, condemnation, guilt, depression, suicide, discouragement, then I need to tell you, you've been listening to the wrong voice as I did. But it didn't take me long to come back and to experience the freedom that he had spoken over me. Not because of anything else, but just turning my gaze back to him, just to know him. I didn't want any gifts. I just wanted to know him. And in knowing him, I, gave, I came free. Do you want to know him tonight? Do you want to change the way you do life and how you respond? Then come up and say, God, I'm here. Thank you. One honest individual. See, there comes a time, guys, that we have to settle for what is truth and not what we've experienced. God will give you opportunity. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We worship you, God. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah.